Well, good morning, everybody. Um, welcome to Bankery Christian Fellowship Church. It's, it's wonderful to be able to, to come together again this Sunday morning and to, to gather and to thank God for all that he has done for us in Jesus Christ. And uh, that's what we want to do this morning. This morning, we're going to have a time where everybody is in together. Um, we normally do this on the first Sunday of a month, so we don't have any junior church. We don't have any uh, Bible class. We will hopefully have some more kids, but with it being summer holidays, nothing is predictable. Um, I do hope we will have at least, if not kids, people who are ready to interact in some way. Um, so be prepared to be called on at some stage. Um, my name is Mark. I'm a pastor in training here at, at Bankery, and it's, uh, it's my privilege to be able to, to welcome you here and to be able to open God's Word with you as well. Um, during our junior church, we each month have a, a kind of a big question that the kids look at. And this month, they have been asking the question, how should we feel when we sin? That's a heavy question. That's a big question to, to start a service with. Um, and it's a big question perhaps for kids to grapple with as well. It's a big question for anybody to grapple with, but how should we feel when we sin? And the answer that they have been giving is, when we sin, we should feel sorry that we have disobeyed God and want to turn from our sin because we love Him. You know, to, to sin is to ignore God, to ignore what He says is best and to choose for ourselves what we think is best, to put ourselves in God's place and actually to make ourselves an enemy with God. And that is a, a frightening place to be. But there is a psalm that speaks wonderfully of how God deals graciously. God doesn't deal with sinful people like me the way we deserve to be treated. Psalm 130 says this, and the, the psalmist knows he is a sinful man, and he says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. It's a wonderful psalm that gives us incredible hope that we come to a God who doesn't treat us the way our sins deserve. He is a God who abounds in forgiveness, and he is gracious to us. If you were with us last week, we started a, a very mini-series in some lessons in the life of Peter. Um, and the reason we've chosen these songs this morning is because they really reflect something of who Peter is and, and his experience of his need of the grace of God. Um, last week, we looked at Jesus calling Peter when he was out fishing very badly, it seemed, and Jesus comes and fills this boat full of fish. Peter recognizes that Jesus is a man with divine power and authority, and he looks at himself and he sees that he is a sinful man, and he tells Jesus to depart from him, 
But Jesus doesn't. Jesus comes close, and He tells Peter to follow Him, and He makes Him a fisher of men. And then we see that, that Peter, he follows Jesus throughout his life, and he has highs and he has lows. And this morning, we're going to look at the end, really, of the story of Peter in the Gospels. Uh, we're going to look at how Peter messes up massively. He denies Jesus at, at the lowest moment, and then Jesus later comes to restore him. We're going to read the first part of that story where, where Peter denies Jesus, and Christine is going to come, and she's going to read from John chapter 18, verse 15 to 27 for us. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. May God bless our understanding of his word to us. Thank you, Christine. Uh, so, to our point in the story that Christine just read, things seem to be unraveling. And Peter has doubts. He has doubts. Maybe, maybe Jesus isn't the right one. Or, or maybe, maybe it's just not worth following Jesus. Maybe it's going to be too hard. You see, Jesus had been arrested. He'd been arrested because people wanted him dead. They wanted him gone. Now, Peter, back in the garden when they were trying to arrest Jesus, he was full of bravado. He got his sword out and he cut off somebody's ear so that Jesus wouldn't be arrested. But then very shortly afterwards, all of that courage seems to disappear. And Peter lets fear get the better of him. He lets fear affect where he stands and what he says. If you, if you notice in the passage, when the people were following Jesus, 
They were, they were following at a safe distance. And we think it was the apostle John and Peter who followed. Now, John was known by the high priest, and so he went inside, and Peter stood outside. And even later, when Peter was brought inside, he stood with the crowd around the charcoal fire warming themselves. He didn't get too close so that he would be associated with Jesus. He was following from a safe distance because he was afraid of what the consequences of following Jesus too closely at that time might be. Doubts and fears crowded in, and we see that his fears were crazy in some ways. Look at the people that he was afraid of. Peter, who had previously been fighting with a sword and cutting off ears, when he was stood around with a servant girl, couldn't bring himself to say that he even knew Jesus. He was terrified. This servant girl said, surely you're not one of those Jesus folks, are you? You're not with him. He said, no, I'm not. And that was the first time. And I wonder what it felt like to Peter at that moment. I'm sure there would have been a stab of conscience and regret and feeling of betraying his Lord. But again, somebody comes to him a little later and says, you're not one of those Jesus folks, are you? And he says, no, even more strongly. In, in Matthew's gospel, he recounts the same thing, and the language that Peter uses gets stronger and stronger and coarser till finally, a third time, somebody who is a relative of the man that had the ear cut off by Peter says, oh, you're definitely one of those Jesus folks. You were in the garden. And Peter swears he does not know Jesus. His language gets even harsher and coarser, and he denies even knowing Jesus. And at that moment, after the third time he says that he does not know Jesus, we see one thing in this passage. There's a rooster, a rooster that crows. In another gospel, we read that Jesus looked at Peter at that moment. He was following from a distance, but not so far away that Jesus couldn't turn and look, and look him in the eye, and it crushed Peter, because Peter, Peter had been told that this would happen. Peter previously had been told by Jesus, there's coming a time where you're going to deny me, and you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, and Peter didn't believe it. He thought he was too strong a follower of Jesus. He loved Jesus too much, and he would never do that. He would rather die, but suddenly in that moment when the rooster crowed and Jesus looks at him, Peter knows he was not as strong as he thought he was. He had allowed fear to conquer him, and he wept. He wept bitterly. We see that he was broken by his failure and by his sin. But we will discover that that is not where this story ends. But I wonder, as a challenge for us, you know, how many of us have been in the position of Peter and followed Jesus 
but at times followed from a safe distance, where to the onlooking world, we could even deny that we were one of those Jesus folks for fear of embarrassment, for fear of losing friends, for fear of being bullied in school, for fear of just looking a bit stupid. You know, it's something that many of us, if not all of us, have fallen to. We fear what other people might think of us more than we fear and love the Lord. That's, that's a hard message for us, but it's not the end of the story. So, Peter had failed and failed badly, and he had allowed fear to affect where he stood and what he said. But just before we move on to this second part of the story, Jesus restoring Peter, I want you to note there's a contrast between Peter and Jesus in the passage that Christine read. The denial of Peter is, is split up, and in the middle of it, we see Jesus. We see Jesus on trial. We see Jesus is not afraid to stand before the council and to, to face accusations that were false and wrong, and He stood in our place. He stood in Peter's place, and we see that he was not afraid to speak the truth. You see, he says he spoke openly. He didn't hide who he was. Nothing was a secret. Jesus speaks words of truth, and he stands in our place, and he stood in Peter's place. And then after this denial, we see that Jesus went to the cross. Jesus, he died in our place so that we might have life. Now, Peter saw Jesus die, and on the third day, Jesus was raised back to life, and Peter saw the risen Lord Jesus, not just on one occasion, on multiple occasions. And then we see, even after this, Peter he doesn't pick up the commission that Jesus had given him that we looked at last week to go out and be fishers of men. He's back in his boat again. I think Peter now thinks that he has messed up so badly that he is no longer of any use to Jesus. He, he thinks that his failure has made him useless. And that is what is beautiful, I think, about the exchange that happens here in John chapter 21. John chapter 21, and reading from verse 15, says this. Now, after, after the episode where Peter had thought that he was no longer of any use and he was out fishing and again doing a bad job, Jesus comes along and he fills the boat with fish again. And they have a barbecue on the beach. And Jesus eats with Simon Peter. And so in verse 15 of chapter 21, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and will carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. There is an absolutely stunning encounter between Jesus and Peter here. And we see something of a symmetry in, in the story of Peter. We see parallels between his first calling last week when he was in the boat and Jesus provided a huge number of fish and then called him to follow him. And again, we have that calling stated, reiterated, said again to Peter in this catching of fish. We saw three times Peter denies that he even knows Jesus. And then three times we read here Jesus coming to Peter and asking him, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And in these words, sometimes you, you read of commentators drawing a, a significance out of the words love that is used, because in our English translation, it's simply love. In, in the original language, we have filio and agape, two Greek words for love. I, I don't think we should draw too much out of that, actually because John in his own gospel uses agape and filio interchangeably. He uses both words to speak of the love for which God has, God the Father has for God the Son. Um, in, in John 5.20, the Father loves the Son with a filio kind of love, and the Father loves the Son in John 3.35 with an agape kind of love. We see these words used interchangeably. I think what is the most powerful thing in the exchange here of Jesus asking Peter, do you love me, is the fact that it happens three times. The exact same number of times that Peter had said, I don't even know you. I'm not one of his followers. Jesus is so gracious here. He's not trying to open a wound by saying, do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you really, really love me? It's not what he's doing here. He's giving him opportunities to publicly profess that he loves Jesus as he sits around this charcoal fire to, in some ways, restore him from the threefold denial that he had sitting around a charcoal fire not so very long ago. Jesus is so gracious and compassionate. And not only does Jesus show his compassion in this threefold question of, do you love me? We see that he restores him by telling him to, to tend his sheep, feed his sheep. Look after my people, is what Jesus is saying. Look after the church and feed them. God gives Peter an incredible responsibility, one that requires trust. And, and we see here what it is that qualifies us 
What qualifies Peter to be useful in the service of God? It's not that he never got things wrong. It's not that he was whiter than white. It was that he loved Jesus. You know, do you want to be of service to God? Do you want to be used by Him? Well, the thing that, that we need more than any other is a love for Jesus. It's a love for Jesus that, that compels us to tell people about Him, even if our words are fumbling and we falter and we fail. It is a love for Jesus that makes us useful for Him in His service. And we see that Jesus restores Peter. And in the, the closing words of this passage in John 21, we see Jesus again saying to Peter, follow me, follow me. Jesus never gave up on Peter, even though Peter had, it seems, given up on Jesus. He had, he had shrank back from following him in the face of fear. And there is, there is real comfort for, for us here this morning. For, for those of us who feel like we have failed in our walk following Jesus, for those of us who, who feel we get stuck in the same sin again and again, for those of us who, who follow the crowd instead of following Jesus, there's comfort for us here in this. Jesus doesn't come to, to Peter and scold him and tell him how ashamed he ought to be. He restores him gently by saying, do you love me? Because that is all you need. Do you love me? And he calls him to follow him in this gracious restoration. I hope this is a, an encouragement to you this week as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go about your day-to-day -day activities. I hope it's an encouragement for you to know that you don't need to, to have a PhD in theology. You don't need to, to be the most intellectual or gifted. You are useful for God if you simply love Him. And, and how, do we, how do we foster a love for Christ? You know, it's not by just digging deep inside ourselves and hoping. It's as we look to the cross that our love for Christ crystallizes and grows, because it is only because He first loved us that we can have any capacity to love Him at all. It's because He went to the cross and He died for us. In, in one of John's letters, he, he tells us that this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And so this is something for us to, to think upon and meditate on this week, that our love for Jesus might grow and that we might be used by Him more, regardless of our, our past, present, and even future failures. Uh, may our love for Christ grow as we look to Him on the cross. Let me close our time together by reading some words from, from Jude, the final words which say this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord.
be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.